Good morning, everybody. How's it going? All right. Good to see you guys. Hey, come on. You can tell when a certain outcome happened on Saturday. It's like the energy level last week was a little down, this week a little bit higher. So how many of us need to say, okay, God, I need to disconnect my, my, uh, my sense of well-being from sports scores on Saturday. Anybody with me here? But it's always nice. Let's go. Come on. Let's just be happy. We're in Eugene. We can be happy that the Ducks won. Yes. Come on. Who was at the game last night? Anybody? Yeah, that's right. It was awesome. How many of you were like, come on, you can break 80. You can do it. You can do it. Some people are like, no, no, sportsmanship. Let the other team feel good about themselves. Nope. Nope. We're going straight Chuck Norris on that team right now. <laughs> Roundhouse kick. So I, I look at sports as kind of a metaphor for spiritual uh, reality. And, uh, you know, I think the kingdom of God is like God wants us to go 77 to 6 on the devil. You know what I mean? Come on. Yep, let's do it. So uh, anyways, that was a lot of fun, but I'm excited about today. We already had a really good first service. Just want to say welcome to everyone that's here today. If this is your first time or you're new, checking out Joy Church, so glad to have you here. Thank you for, for coming today. My name is Jake, and my wife, Bethany, and I are the lead pastors here at Joy Church. We want to just welcome you along with the whole team. And I know every one of us, whether this is your first week being at church or maybe uh, uh, you've been here for a long time. Uh, today, God has something special for each and every one of us, and we're all going to leave here encouraged. And even if this message is awful, you get to go eat lunch right afterwards. So it's a win-win. Come on. And you know our motto at Joy Church is, let's get out early and beat all the other churches to the best restaurants. That's what Jesus would have us do. Am I right? Well, guys, I want to give you a couple updates. Uh, those of you that, that are familiar know that Joy Church, we purchased uh, what was Skate World on uh, Gateway Loop. And really excited about that, yeah? So uh, I wanted to give you guys some updates on that, where, where things are, and share some good news with you, and then we're going to pray uh, for God just to provide the rest of what we need. But man, I'm, I am so very excited about the potential of that space, just to be a place where a lot of people are going to come and find authentic faith, and a lot of people are going to come and be able to experience God and experience His love and His joy and freedom, and it's going to be awesome for everyone, and kids are going to get to come play in that playground there. It's going to be incredible. Uh, Justin Cross and I were on the shuttle coming back from Autzen, and this lady overheard us talking. She goes, are you a pastor? And, and I said, yeah, and then we kind of got talking about the indoor playground and what's going on at Skate World, and she was like, that's so amazing. I have three kids. Can't wait to bring them. So really excited about that, um, but I wanted to share just a little bit about the project, so uh, keep everybody in the loop. I uh, just got the updated numbers. Mark got them to me this week, and uh, we are only $82,000 away from what we need to move in, and uh, hopefully February or March of 2020. Come on. Isn't that awesome? So $82,000 is, is what we're going to pray for today, God, just to, to bring that in. And then we, are, uh, we need uh, $250,000, um, which is a little bit more, but $250,000 to complete phase one which will be the full finished uh, kids wing and the playground and the, I think, front doors, parking lot, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be good. But we did, we did go ahead and decide we're going to do HVAC. So we're going to have heating and air conditioning. Come on. Yes. Wild cheers from the crowd. Wow. I love it. Yeah. I was thinking, hey, we don't need that. Serving Jesus is about, you know, discipline. Let's get in there and we'll just tough it out. But I think, I think we think, I, I think HVAC and like uh, climate control is like a human right now. Isn't it about that level? It's in the Geneva Convention somewhere in there. You will have air conditioning and heat, even though we live in like the most moderate temperate climate. But I'm a wuss, right? Anybody else? I love it to just, I just like to be comfortable 100% of the time. That's all it is. 
This is all I ask. So 82,000 is the, is the number that we need. And, and what I wanted to do now is we're not taking an offering or anything. I just wanted us to pray as a church and just put our trust in God and believe that God's moving and bringing in those resources that we need to accomplish what he's called us to do. Will you join with me in prayer? Thank you. Father, thank you so much for leading us forward into all that you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. And Lord, we just lift up our needs before you. I thank you, God, that you provide for us. You've provided for us as a young church all the way up to this point, every step of the way, going from a living room to a community center, community center to a theater. And as we go from here at Regal, that's been our home, Lord, over to uh, the Skate World building, Lord, we thank you that you're providing for us and you have a greater dream and greater vision for that than even we do, Lord. So we just trust you for that provision. We lift up that the, the needs that we have to you, Lord, and we thank you for your provision as you provide for us through this whole project, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Awesome. Well, we've been in a series called Us, as you saw from the video there, talking about the church and talking about the uniqueness and the value of the church as an as a organization and an institution, uh, even in a day and age when church isn't really on vogue, right? Church isn't really like the it thing. And uh, we talked about, you know, identifying as a church person and what that looks like. We've talked about serving. We've talked about why you got to be here, why it matters to be here on Sunday. And man, it's encouraging to me to see all of you guys here because we're coming together in representation of the fact that, like what we sang about, there is a God. He sent Jesus to this planet to invade our mess. And, and, and he brought us together as a ragtag band of misfits to bring hope and healing into the world. And we've had the politicians and we've had the parliaments and we've had the the, the philosophers, but there's something unique about God working through the foolishness of this world and working through the weak to accomplish his purposes. And how many of you are, are happy that God nominated you to be part of his crew? Come on, part of his tribe that you were, you've been voted, uh, you've been voted on to the island, not off of the island. Come on. And uh, there's a place here for every single person. I don't care what color, what gender, what your background is, where you come from. It's about us coming together in Christ to the foot of the cross and finding faith and life in Jesus. Come on, man, I'm gonna start preaching right now. So we've been talking about the church and what I wanted to, to share with you today is we're gonna talk about being a generous church. We've talked about being a serving church. We've talked about being a connected all in church in relationship and identifying as community. But today we're gonna talk about money and how many people say, amen, pastor. Amen. I want to talk about money. And let me just tell you right now, I love talking about money in church because it makes you so uncomfortable. It makes me kind of delighted as an introvert to sort of have that sway. Oh no, he's going to take up an offering. No, we're not. Uh, but money is simply a, it's, it's something that is an indicator of our heart. Come on. It's like the way, what we do with our bodies and our sex life is an indicator of our heart. Come on, somebody. What we do and how we treat other people when they're rude to us is an indicator of our heart. Money is a heart issue just like any other issue. And this is why Jesus wants to deal with it because Jesus wants all of your heart. The scripture says that uh, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Money is an issue of life. Money is a heart issue. And so we got to talk about it. And, and really the, the thing is, we're gonna, it's going to be very encouraging to you today. I really believe this because God's perspective and his heart for money is not to get your money and leave you low. God's, God's heart for you is to get your whole life and to bring you up. Come on. God's heart is to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. And so I love talking about this. And I want to commend you as a church, commend us together as a church family, that we are a very generous church. If you look back over the last year, we've given uh, thousands and thousands of dollars to world missions to help other churches. We've planted churches. We've done local community outreach and uh, charity work here in our community to make this place 
where we live look a little bit more like how God would want it to, to look. And so you guys are a generous church. So come on, give yourself a pat on the back. That's awesome. But God has more for us. So we're going to jump into Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And this is a little vignette, a little picture of Jesus uh, as he's kind of talking to the people around him in his culture. And he starts talking about money, starts talking about the heart. It says in Luke chapter 12, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. As a parent, I relate to this. Dad, Penny looked at me. Dad, Jack said, call me a booger face. You know, and as parents, we're always sort of called to adjudicate. Are you with me? And Jesus says the most dadly thing ever. He says, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Like, hey, I'm not getting involved in this mess right here. But actually, Jesus goes a little deeper. He begins to deal with his heart. This guy's saying, hey, we have a disagreement about money. How are we going to divide the estate? I'm not getting my fair share. I'm not, I'm, it's not working out the way I want it. And then Jesus goes a little deeper. He doesn't just take it at the surface level. In verse 15, he says, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Now, when he says every kind of greed, he's saying there's more than one because greed is an obsession with taking things unto yourself, right? And just getting more than, than you need. And then Jesus drops this bomb. This is a good one to, to put on your, uh, uh, your bumper sticker or whatever if you want to be oversaved and have Christian bumper stickers. But he says, life is not measured by how much you own. And this is a profound statement because this is the pull of the world. To measure your life, to measure your success by the abundance of your possessions, to measure your success by the stuff that you have. And we're very susceptible to this at the pinnacle of human wealth that we live at in our country and at this time in history. But even in this time and age, Jesus says, hey, you need to understand life is not measured by how much you own. And then Jesus tells a story. And this story is so rich and it's told in the cultural language and the, the cultural uh, context of an agricultural society. This is 2,000 years ago, but I think we'll find ourselves in this same story. Jesus says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, self, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you want a description of the economic philosophy of our day and age? It fits this exactly. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, right? And having, when, I, when I hear the word merry, I think about like Robin Hood wearing tights and, you know, being merry. I don't know what that means, but I like to be merry, I suppose. But God said to him, Jesus goes on, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Lord, you're not supposed to call people bad names. God did. If God calls you a fool, you better watch out. You know what I mean? It's like Mr. T, say fool. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And then Jesus kind of sums it up. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus is telling us this is a mistaken priority. The real target of life, the real pathway to fulfillment, the real way to be satisfied is to have a rich relationship with God, not just riches, now, let me make some statements here as we talk about money and we talk about the heart and our posture of generosity and our posture towards God in this area of our life as followers of Jesus <clears throat> is that money in and of itself is not good or bad. Money is neutral. Money is amoral. And the, the presence of a lot of money or the absence of money is, is not something that is good or bad. You'll hear people say, 
um, you know, money is the root of all evil. That's not actually what Jesus said. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. And he's actually talking about a heart posture, heart condition. So people will say, man, rich people are evil. No, they're not. There's really good rich people. Or, the, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're more moral when you're poor. No, there's really greedy, selfish, poor people. The presence or the absence of money is not the issue. The issue is what, that ha- what hold does that have on your heart and your posture towards God? What is your posture towards God? What is your posture towards resource? But here's the thing. There's a tension here because we're pulled towards storing up earthly treasures, right? And being rich unto ourselves, being self-sufficient and not being rich in our relationship with God. And the real path of fulfillment and satisfaction is a rich relationship with God, which includes following God and doing what God wants you to do in every aspect of your life. See, when we talk about money, people get uncomfortable because money is kind of like, especially in church, it's like, well, church just wants my money, uh, you know, the pastors and all that. And there's been abuses in this totally, but, but listen, I have absolutely no problem talking about it because it's just a discipleship issue for me, for you as followers of Jesus, for all of us. It's another issue of our heart because what, where our money goes is what we ascribe value and worth to. We actually worship with our money. You with me? We worship, we ascribe value and worth with where our money goes. And so Jesus is calling us to use our money as another way to worship God, to turn the totality of our life over to uh, the kingdom of God and turn it over to worshiping God and living for God. So it's just another area of life. But uh, one of the things I want to talk about today is just a few different views, three specifically wrong views about money. These are kind of postures that we can take and that you might find yourself in one of these postures about money, a posture of life and a posture towards God. Three wrong views about money. Are you with me? So number one is this, self-sufficiency. And this is where money takes the place of God. This is what the guy in the story is getting to, where he's saying, I have enough. I can store it up. I'll tear it down. I'll build bigger barns and I'll be safe and self-sufficient and I won't have to think about it or worry about it anymore. And when money replaces God as our provision, as our provider, as the, the, the source of our life, when money takes that position, we have a wrong posture about money. Our heart is, is in the wrong spot. Are you with me? Now, transparently, this is something I really struggle with because I'm like one of those people that if I could like store it all up, I'm like the squirrel getting all the acorns, you know what I mean, for the winter. That's how I am. How many of you are with me like this, you know? Like to me, if I could just, yeah, I've got my, 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 my retirement's good. I got my house paid off. It's all stocked away and I'm good. And I can say to myself, self, you have stored all your goods up and you are okay. You are safe. Like nothing can get you. There could be a hurricane, a forest fire, and that giant Cascadia earthquake, and it's all good. (laughs) I am self-sufficient. How many of you, this is appealing, right? And I remember I was talking to my wife one time and just one time, but anyways, uh, I was talking to her in a particular moment. And uh, I said to her, you know, it'd be so great. Like, you know, if we, we stored up enough, we just, and I really just didn't have to worry about money anymore. And she was like, I think there's a verse about that. She's so gracious. She's way too good for me. And I'm like, you're right. There is a verse about that. Oh God, help me. (laughs) But self-sufficiency where money becomes our God, where we've now, we've taken ourselves out of the trust zone. Now, here's the thing. I'm not talking about that you need to be voluntarily poor uh, just so that you can, you depend on God. It it, it has to do with your heart position and posture where money is not your provider. You know, one of the prayers that I pray quite often is say, God, Joy Church, my employer, I work for for the church, you know, I get my salary from the church. I'll say, Joy Church is not my provider. God, you are my provider. Bethany and I also own our own business. We have an online business. I don't, Lord, you know, Jacob Schmelzer Resources, my online business is not my 
provider. God, you are my provider. Why? Because my heart is tempted to begin to trust in um, anything else other than God as my provider. There's this thing about God is like he's invisible. I don't know if you've noticed this. So he doesn't like write checks. I don't get checks every month like from God. Dear Jake, good job this week. You preached a good message and you ended on time. Good work, God. You know what I mean? Here's, that's not how it works. Anybody ever gotten a check signed directly? It doesn't work that way. He's invisible. So he provides to, for us through human means, natural means, but we don't necessarily always connect the dots, do we? And so what happens is we end up confu- getting confused and we begin to trust other things as our source. That's the first wrong view about money that we ought to be delivered of as we move towards generosity and a right posture towards God. Second one is this, laziness, or you could put a little slash in it, lack. Laziness or lack, which is this, where, okay, I'm not going to worry about money at all. I'm not going to better myself. I'm not going to try to get a better job. I'm not going to try to invent something or create something or start a business. I'm just going to basically exist off of what other people generate, and I'm going to be lazy. I'm not going to actually work. There is a theology in the Bible, a deep theology of vocation and work. Adam and Eve were planted in the Garden of Eden, and the first thing that there's meant to do is God gives them a job, right? There's a whole book in the Bible about this, the book of job, right? Have you seen that? This is a super Christian joke. If the person to your left or right is not laughing, you know they're new, so give them a donut because that's like an uber Christian joke right there. Yeah. How many of you grew up in church and you heard the preachers always say, the book of job, get one, you know? And we wonder why people don't like us. Okay, so but laziness or lack, and this is where we let the absence or the, the lack of money stop us from achieving and accomplishing what God has called us to do. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a young guy and you spend 10, 20, 30 hours a week getting better at Fortnite, um, you are probably missing out on probably developing the vocational calling that God has on your life that he maybe wants to call you to be a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 100 developer of a company, an entrepreneur, He wants to bless you. He wants to give you work so that you can actually create income and create resources to be a blessing for the world. Come on. So laziness will also steal away from us, the absence of the presence of money. And again, it's just, it's it's allowing a wrong posture to take you out of the game. And then number three, and this is one we're really all susceptible to, is where we have this posture of just living for pleasure, hedonism, serving ourselves, where our resources, our money is about the continuation and the propagation of our comfort. And I was joking about all I want to do is be comfortable 100% of the time, but I actually struggle with that. How about you? You know, when my internet goes off, I'm like, what is wrong with this place? You know, (laughs) we had like a two hour power outage during the last ice storm. And I was just getting ready to go, you know, down and demand Comcast come personally to my house because, you know, I need to be entertained 24 seven and I want comfort and I want heat and I want air conditioning and I want flushing toilets. You know, and I think we, we, we kind of lose sight of this, but let's just put it in context. Do you realize that you and I, even if you're a lower or middle income type person in the United States of America in the year 2019 are living better than kings and emperors of the past. I've, I've had the opportunity to go and travel around the world a little bit. And, and uh, Mark and I got to go to Israel earlier this year and we were in King David's palace. Let me just tell you right now, it looked worse than the rest area bathrooms. <laughs> it was like dirty dirt and rocks and... Dirty dirt, yep. <laughs> All dirt is dirty to me, right? And uh, I mean, I was thinking this would really stink. Like sure, you had servants feeding you grapes, but like eventually you want to watch football on ESPN. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we live at like the, the, the peak and the culmination of human wealth and enjoyment of life. And so 
we get really like locked into this relative thing where we look at other people, well, I don't have as much as them and their house is a $500,000 house. Mine's only a $250,000 house. You know, I, I, the, if you have a car that you drove here today, like you're, that's incredible. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we just, we lose sight of the fact that really we're all obscenely wealthy. And, I, and, and guess what? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that again, but it's a posture of the heart. And so if our resources now just get directed and begin to get funneled and channeled into greater comfort, more comfort, more, 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 we're losing sight of the fact that of what God really wants for us in our money. So those three wrong views about money will kind of take us out. Now, here's the bottom line. We don't want to get caught in the trap of chasing riches or having a wrong posture about money rather than a rich relationship with God. When you set the target of your life to have a rich relationship with God, it solves all the other stuff. Do you know a lot of the debates that are raging in culture, they would all be solved if each person would say, I'm just gonna pursue a rich relationship with God. Well, what do you think about this issue or that issue or this issue? I don't think about issues. I'm thinking about the source. I'm thinking about the target. And as I'm pursuing Jesus, he's gonna sort the other stuff out in my life. Come on. Don't get caught. And so money becomes one of these things that can pull us to the left or the right. Don't get caught in the trap of chasing riches rather than having a rich relationship with God. And what Jesus is talking about here is a heart posture that leads to change behavior. You change the source, you get different symptoms and outcomes. If you change the root, you get different fruit. You with me? And so God wants to change our heart in this area. So here's the shift. So a couple of shifts, four things that we need to shift from. Let's go ahead and put them on the screen. Number one is this, generosity versus greed. We want to live in generosity, not greed. How about trust versus worry? How many of you deal with worry when it comes to money? We're afraid, we're worried. If you have like, you know, 19 years worth of emergency food and 14 guns and, you know, seven bars of gold and Alex Jones cassette tapes, you know, to get you through, that was a good joke. Okay, I'm just saying right now. You're probably dealing with this. How about faith versus fear? What is faith? Trusting and believing in God versus living afraid. Afraid. You know, I know a while back, Bethany and, and Kelly and Nikki and different were passing on these articles about the Cascadia subduction earthquake. And everyone was scared about this earthquake and it's going to knock us into the ocean and all this kind of stuff. And how many of you are like, yeah, I'm scared. Yes. But you know what? The reality is, hey man, if Netflix is gone, what's worth living for anyways, right? So... <laughs> No, it's about living from, moving from fear into faith. Fear is not our portion. If you're living in fear in the area of finances, God wants to bring you into faith, which is a dependence and a trust in him as your provider. And then this last shift, got to be careful with that one. It's a hard word. God's kingdom versus our life. You see, all of us are always consecutively living in the midst of two kingdoms. We're, we're living in the kingdom of this earth, the kingdom of this world, the natural life, the tangible reality around us with all of its problems and all of, and its temptations and so on and so forth. And then if you're following Jesus, you're also part of the kingdom of heaven. And, and those two kingdoms do not coexist. God's purpose and plan is to bring heaven to earth, to cause this world to conform to what he originally intended it to be. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're wanting to see God's kingdom become here. So then internally, what we have is always this wrestling match and all of us have it between God's kingdom and our own life and this world and this world's kingdoms. And those, they, those interests, they collide. They don't work together. It's not like Italy in Vatican City where we can have a little annex zone where it's like, God, I have my little kingdom and I just keep my portion here in my life. But yeah, I want your kingdom to come. No, he has to come and get it all. Come on, he has to come and get it all. And so that, that's internally and, and externally. 
So God's kingdom versus our life. So these are the, this is what the shifts that we want to make, moving from greed into a life of generosity. And I'm just going to tell you right now, greed, it, it, it promises like you're going to be fulfilled, but it actually takes away fulfillment. Generosity is sort of counterintuitive, but as you give and as you're the kind of person that is a blessing to others and the posture of your life is not to, to take in and to control and to be safe, but rather to that what God brings in is for the blessing and the benefit of others, that actually sets you free and it fulfills you. It's amazing. Worry, it says I can control my circumstances, control my life and protect myself, but trust actually gives you peace, which is what you wanted in the first place. Fear says I can control, I can stockpile, I can build up. Faith says, you know what? My real provider and protection is God. It's not my ability to have an arsenal. And if you have an arsenal, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying, if, if somebody's using drones and nuclear weapons, that's not gonna save you. Come on, right? You with me? So I don't put my faith in my ability to guard myself. You know, you could get, I, I, I get nervous sometimes. I go on Amazon and I start looking at all the security systems and then I think, you know, <laughs> if somebody wants me that bad, I've done something, you know, <laughs> I can't protect myself. I'm gonna trust God that my times and my seasons are in his hand. And then God's kingdom versus our life. Okay, we'll move on because we got to get to the restaurants. So I can feel it, your hunger. Your... So I want to give us some handlebars on this message today, some steps to living a generous life, some practical things we can begin to implement in the area of money and how we treat it, how we handle it, how we live uh, that will help us align ourselves with God in this area. Number one, defeat debt and control your spending. I'm probably sounding like somebody's uncle or dad or mom right here. Um, I was at a meeting recently and I said, they were giving me a hard time because of the way I talk. And I said, I'm everyone's older brother. So I'm just embracing my destiny as your older brother to speak words of wisdom and slightly condescending tone to you. So just teasing. Um, defeat debt and control your spending. God's heart for you is to be free in your finances and blessed in your finances. And you can't do that if you're under the control and slavery of debt or if you're under the slavery of not being able to control your money right? If money's a heart issue, what happens is a heart that's pursuing satisfaction outside of God will try to express itself in all different types of behavior. And one of those is just, uh, is just wanton spending, just going out. And this is something that, that I really believe God wants us to experience freedom in this area where we develop new habits and, and have wisdom in this area and get the results. Now, I'm going to share transparently, um, this is something that for Bethany and I, we had to learn even as adults. Um, I didn't have the right training and programming uh, about finances and debt. I was told when you turn 18, get a credit card, you know, max it out and get, build your, your credit score. And, uh, and so I did that. I, I, I jumped in. I, you know, and by the time Bethany and I actually got married, we were 22 years old. We had about 20 grand or more in debt, three cars that were not paid off, you know, th that we were paying on. We had, uh, we went on an amazing honeymoon to the, the UK. We put $6,000 on credit cards. Then we got home from our honeymoon and we put several thousand dollars on credit cards for furniture. So here we are, two weeks married, or two, two months married, 22 years old, and $30,000 in debt. Yay. <laughs> and you know what? I remember when it really hit me, because you don't always recognize that you're in a trap or that you're under the control of something until you do, you know? So I remember one day we were at Red Lobster, and I, I was, felt sick to my stomach. Now I probably realize it was the food there, but actually... <laughs> <laughs> we went out to lunch with my family after church one Sunday. It was just a normal Sunday. And they said, let's go to Red Lobster. I'm like, sweet, I like those cheddar biscuits. So we go to Red Lobster and we sit down and I'm looking at the menu and 
you know, here's the shrimp linguine and here's the, the, you know, the admiral's platter. And I'm like, an admiral, I'm, I'm like an instant. I can't get that, you know. And I remember feeling sick to my stomach because I knew we we're going to put $40 on a credit card today to eat this meal with our family. And we literally can't afford it. We're just going deeper into debt every week. And it felt like a black hole. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? And it was in that moment that I just thought, I'm not going to live this way any longer. I don't like this. I can't even eat food at a restaurant because I'm under the control of debt. And this is the thing that, I, that Bethany and I began to pray. But beyond praying, like pray, yes, pray. But when, when there's actually answers that are already provided, also walk. Like do something with it. You know what I mean? I hear Christians all the time, God, we pray for revival. Send the Spirit down from the north and blow on our city. He's already blowing. Like, put your sails up and walk across the street and be nice to somebody. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I'm going to do a whole ser series called Answered Prayers, right? There's a, how many of you play? God blessed me. He blessed you. Now get your money in order. Come on. You, yeah. you, we need to, like, hear the prophetic voice of God delivered to us in a Steve Martin Saturday Night Live sketch where that one where he says, if you don't have enough money, don't buy it. You know what I mean? Have you seen that? This is an answered prayer. So we prayed, but we also said, God, help us get the training we need. So we began to listen to Dave Ramsey and uh, any, any Dave Ramsey fans, you know, talking about, he's saying, hey, this is what God's word says. This is what scripture says, the borrower slave to the lender. And I'm like, I feel that slavery. I can't even eat a red lobster because I can't afford it. I, I'm so broke and I'm so in debt. And so we began to uh, change our habits. We began to get a hold of our spending. We looked at our money and we said, okay, this is how much we make. We're going to actually form this mystical, magical thing that is super powerful. It's like alchemy. It's called a budget. It's B-U-D-G-E-T, a budget, where you actually like say to your money ahead of time where you want it to go instead of just like, what happened? <laughs> it's mystery, everyone, you know? And it's funny, but we all do this, don't we? We're all laughing, but some of you are going to go puke when you go to the restaurant today because <laughs> like me, right? How I felt. So part of God's heart for us to begin to get to a generous life is to get our finances in order. And this is the beautiful thing about God's kingdom is that the, the treasure is available for all of us to partake of the wisdom and the knowledge. And there's some beautiful, incredible people in our church you could go to and just say, I need help in this area. Like, that's what I had to do. We went to the, we went to the people always like in their 50s, and they always, they always look a little stern. Those are the ones you ask about money. You know what I mean? If you see them bringing their lunch to, to work or whatever, and they're not always eating out, that's probably the person that you ask. And so we found some people like that, and we said, what do we do? And they're like, not what, don't do anything what you think. Do it differently. We're like, okay, we're going to change. But we got a hold of it. And I remember the day when we paid off our last credit card and said goodbye to debt forever. And I said, forget that, never going back there. I don't want to be a slave get an upgrade in your thinking in this area because it's one of the first steps that God will use to unlock you to be a generous person, right? Are you with me? Okay. Number two, trust God with your tithe. Trust God with your tithe. Tithe means a tenth, okay? There's a lot of creativity taught about this uh, nowadays and it's, it's all wrong. People say tithe 3%. You can't. A tithe is a tenth. It's just illogical. So trusting God with our tithe, and this is one of those things where people will say, well, that's an Old Testament thing and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, the New Testament actually upgrades this beyond a tenth. And so let me just teach this to you and, and, and then you can be mad at me if you want, but you won't because it'll help you. All right. Trust God with your tithe. Tithing is this. It says, God, everything he gives to me, 100% of the money that I get and 100% of my resources, he, they belong to him and I'm a steward. 
I, I am, I'm a manager of God's resources. And so God in scripture says, hey, I want you to, 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 to take the first 10% of everything you get and give it to me. That's my portion. You, you give that to me and I'm gonna bless the 90% that remains beyond what you would have had by yourself, okay? Now, looking at my own life, I'm gonna say God has done so much more with the 90% that I've had in my hands blessed by him versus the 100% unblessed that I wasn't doing, okay? So it says this in Malachi chapter 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. How many of you sound, that sounds good. Okay, I like that. And then he says this, try it. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only time in the Bible where God says literally, I dare you to test me on this. He's saying, check me on this one. Test me. Why? Because money is such a root issue. It's so hard for us. Some of you, if I said God is calling you to go to Iran and you're going to die as a missionary on the foreign soil, you'd be like, yes, Lord. And you're crying and you're willing to do it. If I say you should tithe 10%, you're like, I don't, this church is legalistic. I'm out. Well, what's going on, little buttercup? <laughs> My dad used to say, when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit, right? Why are we so uptight about this? Because it's a root issue. Money wraps itself around our heart. It's how we express worship and value. And so when God comes and says, hey, by the way, it's all mine, and I actually want you to trust me with 10% and watch what I'll do, because I will actually bless you, it's a very hard test, okay? But guys, this is the, this is the springboard for generosity. This is the thing that literally as an act of discipleship in your walk with God will transform not just finances in your life, but transform so many different areas in your life. And so tithing means simply giving the first tenth, the first 10% of what God gives you back to him. And as the scripture says, we bring that tithe into the storehouse. So for us, it's our church, the local church that you go to. Now, here's how much I believe in this. If you are like, Pastor Jake, you're saying that we sh I should give to Joy Church, go to another church and do this, but do it. Are you with me? Because it's either true or it's not true. It's either a principle or it's not a principle. So yes, if, you, if Joy Church is your family, just like we talked about last week, my kids sit down and go, we want to do chores at the neighbor's house, which they did this week. So funny. I can't believe that. They were, do, they were helping him with his yard. I'm like, what the heck? You know, can't get my kids to do yard work here. If this is your family, then you need to participate in the chores and in the, and in the serving. Come on, you with me? So you bring it into the storehouse, your church, for kingdom purposes, and that is something that you turn over to God. Now, this is the thing. The tithe is between you and God. I'm not checking you. This isn't something between you and I. This is something between you and God. And it's a test of obedience and discipline that demonstrates trust and priority. When we talk about making this shift, this is literally putting your money where your mouth is. And God says, I dare you to give me 10%. And we, and we react against this in our modern American values. Well, no, that's legalism. And no, that's not how God would work. Why? Why wouldn't he work this way? No one can say that's not the way he would work. It's just that we don't like it. It's uncomfortable because it means we have to trust God because it's a lot. It seems like a lot, doesn't it? When I tell my kids, hey, you got 10 bucks for your birthday, did you know that that first dollar belongs to God? And we as a family honor God and we trust God with that 10th. And my kids look at me like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, money's already an issue, isn't it? Because trusting God to actually provide for us and believing his word that he will bless us is a difficult test, but it's a test of obedience and discipline and it demonstrates trust and priority. So here's my challenge to you. 
I'm not challenging you as your pastor. I'm, you know, this is something Bethany and I practice. I've practiced it since I was a young kid. God has never let me down ever, not one time. Even when I let me down in money, God never did. He always provided for us, never once, even in the midst of our debt and their problems with money, did we ever lack. Every time I've had needs that literally I had no way to provide for, I would, I would tithe, I would honor God with the first, and he would always provide, including supernaturally. Like one time when we were invited not to work at a particular organization, you know, we were invited not to work there anymore. Um, the Lord provided all the income that we were missing out on uh, supernaturally by people, you know, we were getting, I, I had a couple songs that I'd written and, and uh, I'd made like tens of dollars, like $30 in royalties for like the whole years. And then one month, all of a sudden I had almost $1,000 in royalties come in in a check. It just happened to be the month that we lost our job. At, we had money show up in the mail, cash and unmarked envelopes. We had, sounds like a preacher story and don't worry, I'm not taking up an offering, you know, there's going to be no like, send your check to Shiny Watch Ministries and God will bless you with the double-double. No, we're not doing that. Not doing that. I'm just telling you, person to person, disciple to disciple, when I trust God in this area, he has never let me down. He says, I dare you. So this is the challenge. Now, let me upgrade this a little bit in case you're not freaked out enough. A lot of people think that the tithe, like giving 10% of your income or paying that 10% to God and trusting him with that is like the finish line. So you work you work as hard as you possibly can, and eventually at some amazing spiritual breakthrough moment when you're like suddenly grow angel's wings, you finally now give 10%, and that's like, whoa, I'm like, now I'm a real Christian, like you're there. That is the starting point of generosity. Paying your tithe, 10% to God, trusting him with that first tenth is literally where it starts, and then everything above that is where we start becoming generous and moving into what God's called us to do. Let me just tell you right now, in, in my life, this has been a phenomenal thing where when God has, you know, because I've paid my tithe, then when God comes and says, hey, now let's move into generosity, this is where it gets supernatural. This is where you get miracles. This is where all of a sudden, as, as you begin to give and you begin to, to pour out the resources that God's given to you, that is where real generosity is at. So what Bethany and I do, I'll tell you our personal practice so that you can get an idea of what, what New Testament generosity kind of looks like, just from an example. I know a lot of people in the church operate this way. Bethany and I, we don't determine sums of money. We don't say, we're going to give God such and such a sum of money. And I'll tell you why, because that limits the blessing that he can accomplish in my life. So what I tell God is, God, if you, whatever you give to us, whether it's $100 or 100000 this is the percentage that we're going to give. So last year, Bethany and I, we actually started an online business because um, I didn't have enough to do with the church here. You guys aren't making me work hard enough. But uh, we started an online business and we just said, God, whatever comes in, we're going to give 20%. 20% of the business goes to you. And I'll tell you, God has richly blessed our business. Uh, and that's amazing. That's beautiful, right? But guess what? When I, if I put a big check or I give a lot of money, it, didn't, it was the percentage. If it was $100, it's the same percentage. Are you with me? But the tithe is always, that belongs to God. That is the starting point. If you're a racer, that's the block you put your foot on. And then what God, as God blesses you and increases you because you trust him in that area of finances, it's like releasing the tithe just takes the chains off of your life. And now you're actually free to live in generosity. Now for some of you, how many of you that's like massively challenging to you? Massively challenging? Okay. God, thank you. There's two honest people in this room. The rest of you are hypocrites. That's massively challenging to me because I'm an American and I have this, there's a hold on my heart that money has, right? But guess what? I'm not living for this world or this kingdom. I want to throw up treasures in heaven. And that's why it's a joy and a privilege to give sacrificially and generously 
to the things that God's called us to do as a church and to give sacrificially and generously to help the poor in the world. Bethany and I give to the poor. We don't just give to the church. Like the tithe comes to your church. The generosity, you just listen to the Holy Spirit and you give, okay? But this is the starting point. The tithe is the starting point of generosity. And this leads us to number three, and then we'll get out of here and beat the other churches to the best restaurants. Number three, dare God to bless you. Here's your prayer. God, if you will get it to me, you can get it through me. In the book of Genesis, we have one of the fathers of faith, Abraham. And it was said of Abraham that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. A lot of you, how many of you, if God would just double your income this month, you'd be like, praise Jesus. I'm going to start speaking in tongues. Come on. Anybody here? Shonda, you know, get really excited if God were to double your income. But here's the thing. God wants to double your income, but he's asking you, if I get it to you, can I get it through you? Will you take on this mandate as a generous person when your heart is in alignment with God and money does not have a hold on you? So it's not the absence or the presence of money. That's when God's blessing can come because you're blessed to be a blessing. And I believe God wants to unlock blessing. He wants to unlock ideas. He wants to lift you out of generational poverty. My great grandpa drank three farms into the dirt and was bankrupt. My, my grandpa was so poor, uh, you know, depressed, couldn't get a job horrible poverty that my dad came out of. My dad elevated our family to a certain degree, but I believe God wants me in this generation and my family to elevate our economic status, not because so we can get the fanciest cars and houses and all that. That stuff is boring, okay? To be a blessing, because I'm telling you right now, you know what I want to hear? You know what my money is going to right now? I want to hear kids laughing at our new playground. That's what I want to hear. You can't drive that. You can't eat that. Like, you know what I mean? I want to see God, I want to see the churches that we support around the world be, be flourishing and, and, and grow. I want to see people around us in our community be elevated out of poverty. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. I was in Cambodia a couple years ago, and I remember seeing on the Mekong River, we were on kind of a little river cruise uh, tourism thing, and, and at the end of our missions trip there, and there was a, a, a village of people, I think they're Hmong people that came down, and they were so poor, they actually lived on little uh, pontoons and things in the river. And I was watching the kids play and the river's dirty and there's garbage and it was nasty. And I was like, oh, it really impacted me because I was thinking about my home back in the United States and all of the, the wealth and the privilege and everything I had. And I was really feeling guilt, like extreme guilt. And I remember sitting in the airport in Seoul, Korea on the way back, we had a 12 hour layover. I don't know whose idea that was. And I was wrestling with God. God, why do they have so little and I have so much? And I really felt the Lord speak very clearly to me. He said, Jake, and when you guys, when pastors say God speaks to them, there's not like an audible voice. It's just like, I felt it in my heart, okay? Just, people always think pastors have like a direct line. We don't. But I felt God impressed in me and put these words in my, my spirit. Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands. I want you to have open hands. You know, it hit me in that moment, the heart of God is not for those people to be living in that poverty, in that abject dehumanizing poverty. God doesn't want anybody to be there. So I don't honor God by me bringing my life down to that level. What God wants to do is bless me so I can bring them up to a higher level. Come on. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. And so we have to understand that in our culture and, and, and place in the world, we are the stewards of the greatest blessings that God has ever been bestowed. Literally, this is the height of wealth and, and privilege that's ever been in human history. And it is our responsibility before God 
to be a blessing to the world around us and to elevate people. And that's the heart of generosity. Come on. But it's not to bring you down. It's to bring others up. And when you connect with this, God can unlock some powerful things in your life. And that's the posture of generosity. Not that you have empty hands, but that you have open hands. God, whatever you put into my hands, as you bless me, as you bless my business, as you bless my family, there's going to be more than enough for me and mine. There's going to be more than enough to go on nice vacations and have a nice life. But God, my heart is in your kingdom, not for this world. My heart is that as you bless me, I will be a blessing because in that, money has no hold on our heart. And in your, in your, in your privilege or your lack, in, your, in the presence of money, in the absence of it, it matters not because you have a rich relationship with God and open hands and God wants to bless you to be a blessing. So we need to ask ourselves today, hey, where's my heart? I'm not taking up an offering. You know, we're not, there's no push. There's nothing, we're not doing anything like that. It's just a question for us to take home today and say, Lord, am I following you as a part of the church? Am I following you as part of your mission in the world? Do I have a generous posture or is it a self-serving, greedy, or a lack, or whatever kind of mindset? Because here's the beautiful thing, guys. And we're going to end here today. Really, as a Christian, it's not about what you give God. And it's not about what you, how generous you become, or how much you give, or whatever. As a Christian, the very first thing we do is receive. We receive God's gracious generosity as he sent Jesus. And whether you've been a Christian for 25 years or today you're going to decide to follow Jesus, whatever condition you find yourself in, whatever place you're in, the reality is this. We are always uh, receiving from God first and foremost before we ever give anything. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that God in his grace and his generosity said, you'll never outgive me. I've always got more for you. And as long as you'll trust me and have open hands, I'm going to keep putting stuff in those hands. I'm going to keep my love and my grace and my presence in your life. And so it's a beautiful thing to follow Jesus. You get to jump out of this natural world and, and, the, and the brokenness of it and step into a supernatural place where God has got you. He takes care of you uh, financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, like you're in his hands. And it's a beautiful thing. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I wanna be a follower of Jesus. Not fake, not religion, not just like, churchy. I want Jesus. Like, I want to receive what God did for me. I want to receive Jesus, and I want to follow him with my life. I want to go, I want, to, I want him to take my sin, and I want him to heal my heart and lead me in, in, into the life he has for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I can see? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all over this place. Thank you. I want to follow Jesus for real, not fake, not churchy, not religious. No, I want Jesus. Like, I want him, and I want to give him my whole life. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's all pray. Dear Jesus, I give you my life today, every part of me, and I thank you that you gave your life for me, that you made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I know I've fallen short of your perfect standard, but I thank you that you have grace and mercy for me. You gave your life for me and I receive it today and I give you my life in Jesus' name, amen.